Welcome to Main Engine Cutoff. I'm Anthony Colangelo, and I've got a very special guest with me this week, Mike Lewis of NanoRacks. How you doing? Doing well, Anthony. Thank you very much for having me on. So yeah, this has been about a month since I was down in Houston. We walked around the office a little bit, saw some fun space hardware. I uh, talked about that on a show a couple of weeks ago, but now I wanted to get you on to cover some of the topics that we were focusing on during that visit. Yeah. No, and and I I think first uh I uh well I definitely appreciate you coming down and and I'd like to defend one thing. <laughs> uh, you noticed that we had a lot of a uh, uh, a lot of stuff here, and uh, and I, I come on set the record straight <laughs> when you said uh, you know we have we have a lot of a lot of the uh, you know spaceflight hardware and activities and everything like that. Uh, in my defense, we had just done a handover of a whole bunch of CubeSats, a whole bunch of payloads. Yeah, such is the NanoRacks way. Uh, our timing is just always perfect. And so you came in <laughs> right at the end of a handover. So <laughs> not not that I uh, <laughs> have anything to defend, to defend there. but uh, <laughs> No, it's it's great. You guys were really busy around that time, too. You had the, the Cygnus flight that just finished off. Everything went well yeah. with that. Some new deployers that we'll get into as well. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's an exciting time. You know, I keep waiting for it to to slow down, but you know, that's it's just the the nature of this ride we're on. It keeps going. <laughs> so yeah, things are going well. Let's maybe start there with like the state of NanoRacks itself today. Uh, when I was down there, you mentioned that you recently had the idea to count all of the things that you've been deploying, and have hit more than two hundred satellites deployed, more than six hundred payloads sent up, uh, and you've got these new double wide deployers, which is one topic of excitement when we were talking. Yeah, no, that's a, it, it's crazy. I actually, um, I was just going through my, my year in review kind of thing, you know, looking at the stuff that we'd done and, and a year ago we were at 135 satellites. Uh, and right now we're at 207, uh, including two that are this, this larger microsat class, uh, the K2M and the simple satellite we deployed this year. Uh, so that, that was a huge, huge deal for us using our, our Kaber deployer. Um, we've had just great success with the, the satellite deployment off of the Cygnus vehicle. Um, yeah, it's, that's a, a really exciting program for a number of reasons, uh, the biggest of which is that we, we deploy above the station, so we get a lot of additional lifetime. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, we're, we're over 600 payloads, which is just, just absolutely crazy to me. Um, you know, we're, we're a big part of the, the, uh, allocation for, you know, for payloads for, for the ISS's national lab. It's pretty crazy to think about, you know, and when you step back a couple of years and, and think what the ISS was doing, you know, before you guys came in and started making such use of it. Uh, and there was a couple things that, that you mentioned about how NanoRacks has influenced some ISS management. Uh, specifically with regards to the resupply flights. Is there anything that you can mention about that publicly? I don't want to get too much into <laughs> stuff that's off the grid or whatever, but that, I found some of that stuff very interesting. No, it, it is fascinating. So it, you make a good point. You know, back back before folks like NanoRacks were around, uh, there was there was a lot of, the station was being used differently. You know, they're, they're building the space station. Um, there, there's a lot of the activities, the EVAs, everything like that were focused on construction and assembly and, and, you know, uh, moving components around and things like that. And I think, you know, we, we came in at a really good time, uh, in space station construction because they're, they're getting close to finishing it and realize, oh no, we need to use this thing. 
Um, and we were one of the first companies to get, to get uh, a Space Act agreement, which uh, basically gave us access to the ISS as a national lab, much like any other national laboratory. You know, you can you can uh, have that kind of access. And uh, yeah, we've we've been we've been kind of at the forefront of it uh, since then. Uh, one of one of the interesting things you say we we kind of affect the way that the the station. Um, you know, the station management kind of, kind of views payloads and things like that. Uh, you know, they, they're in a, they're in a neat spot. They want us to be successful, you know, and, and, and we have incredible support over at NASA. The, the interesting part is they want us to be so successful that we create a market that competes with ourselves. So, so when you say, yeah, we've, we've influenced the way that, that the station's used, it, it's definitely true. Uh, it's pretty interesting too. You've got, you know, some things like you have uh, some ground hardware that matches what you have on the ISS so that you can carry out, you know, people think about that sort of thing a lot with Mars rovers. You have a, an engineering unit on the ground that you can test some things out before you send commands up or help debug issues. Uh, and that's the sort of thing that, you know, for a private company to be doing something like that with a bunch of hardware on the space station, I find particularly, in, you know, just kind of amazing that that sort of operational ability is there today. Because like you were saying, they were in this construction mode with the ISS. And then I think, you know, people think now, well, the ISS is done being built. And, you know, maybe not the people that listen to this show that are super into the day-to-day -day space stuff. But right. for a lot of people out there, they're like, well, we're, we're done the ISS. What are we doing now? Whereas people like Nanorax came along and said, well, let's use this thing while we've got it. Um, yeah. yeah, no, uh, we, we kind of, we, we like the term, uh, we, we use real estate, you know, we're using the, the, the station as, as an existing resource where we're in the real estate business, which is, yeah, we used to say we're in the shipment business, you know, <laughs> like calling ourselves FedEx and space or something like that. I think there's probably some, some copyright issues with that, but, uh, <laughs> um, no, really we're, we are, we're, we, we try to use what's there, you know, a real estate company. Uh, you, you brought up a, a kind of a cool thing and, and something that we're really proud of here. Uh, the, the ground controls and the ground models of everything. Um, yeah, as, as I kind of reflect on, on, you know, where we've been as a company, where we're going as a company, that's something that I, I like to, I like to talk about. You know, we have, we built out a, our ground control or our mission control that, that has the ground controls for all our facilities identical to the ones that are on station. Uh, we also, as far as I know, we're the first and only uh, commercial company that has ground to space based to ground comms. So we're, we're, we run all of our experiments from our, from our mission control. We call it the bridge because we're, yeah, I won that battle and I'm a start like that. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, we're able to command and control all of our experiments from here, from, you know, our, our little shop in Webster. And, uh, we're also able to do direct comms with the astronauts and, uh, and, and all that. It's, it's just a, an exciting time to be in commercial space. You know, it, it seems like that would have been impossible, impossible before. Yeah. I didn't know if that was something that you're allowed to talk about, but, um, knowing that you are, that was something yeah. I didn't mention when I talked about the tour that, that you gave me of, of that. Because that was kind of the, there were two moments when I was like, wow, this is incredible. 
and kind of lost my sense of words for a minute. One was standing in front of the airlock module, which we'll get into in a second, or the mock-up. The other was turning this corner and seeing this mission control setup that you have, where you've got live views in the ISS, you see the hardware that they're working with, you've got the hardware there that you can work with, and really work alongside the astronauts. It doesn't feel like you're just sitting there watching astronauts do the work that you've sent up. You know, you, you really get the sense that you are working side by side with them to fulfill whatever you've got going on there. And that's, um, I don't know that there's been a lot of pictures posted of your setup there in, in Webster, but um, I don't know if, if that's stuff that can be published, I would recommend putting that out there because that's something that I think a lot of people would find pretty amazing. Yeah, no, and we're proud of it. And, you know, I've recently made some upgrades to the bridge. Uh, that I, <laughs> so this is the fun part. You know, once once we get it, we've got everything working, you know, and, and the past couple of years, we worked with uh, with Marshall Space Flight Center and the HOSC and, and uh, the POIC group over at Marshall. And, and we've, we've got this, this you know, room that where we can communicate and, and the astronauts are our team members and, and Marshall are our team members and we're, we're able to do all that. That was the hard part. Now we're now we're in the fun part where like I installed fun speakers and fun lights and uh you know we we all we got the whole company in there and and that's where we watch the the launches. You know, we we watched SpaceX 13 launch um last week and and that was that was a big uh yeah, it, it has a festive added festive atmosphere, you know. And and it really does become mission control but also like kind of the the focus of the company yeah. where we all go there so so that's the fun stuff yeah <laughs> so you mentioned spacex 13 that leaves maybe six flights before you all be gathered in mission control maybe a little bit more nervous than you've typically been for these launches and you've got an airlock module uh the manifested airlock. now as far as i know spacex 19 19 yeah. yep yep absolutely uh Coming, coming to a space station near you in uh, <laughs> fall of 2019, the NanoRex airlock uh, commercial module. It'll be a commercial element, I believe we're classifying it as. Um, yeah, we're we're flying uh, a a commercial airlock, uh, something that's going to be able to give access in and out of the space station. So one of the things that when I talk to people about the airlock and they're wondering you know, how is it, what is the main difference between what the airlock will do for NanoRack's workflow on the station compared to what you're using now? Because you seem to be quite busy now. So how will this really change the things that you're doing day to day on station? Oh, it's going to be exhausting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like multiplying <laughs> workload. Yeah, no kidding. So, so before I answer your question, a little something about NanoRack. So we we're about 50 people. And I think a lot of people are really surprised to hear that because we have our fingers in so many uh, pies, so to speak. We, uh, we, we, in boxing, you say we we're punching above our weight and, uh, and, and it's really, it says a lot about, about the openness of the industry and the, the, uh, the excitement that's still involved with aerospace. People want to, if you're doing something exciting, people want to be a part of it. And uh, this airlock's a great example. We, uh, you know, we we saw an opportunity. Um, basically, you know, we've we've been using the Japanese airlock uh, for a number of years. It's 
you know, for our satellite deployments. Um, we have a, a facility that's mounted on, on the external facility of, of uh, the JAXA module called NREP. Um, we, we, use, we use the airlock quite a bit. And, uh, and we saw it as kind of a, a bottleneck for a lot of our, our business streams. Um, so we, we saw that there was a, an open spot and we went and we asked, we asked NASA, hey, do you mind if we put something there? And uh, fortunately, we were ahead of the curve because uh, there's not a whole lot of spots left. And <laughs> yeah, there's some big competition for at least the one that is uh, getting a lot of attention these days. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's one that's got a uh, yeah, a lot of people <laughs> fighting for it. That's for sure. <laughs> um, this one, fortunately, yeah, is, uh, yeah, Node three port. Uh, it's there's a CBM there. Uh, there was a uh, an adapter that's been moved around. Um, you know, it's right next to the beam module, which, uh, which was, you know, the, the awesome expandable thing that was, was used, uh, I guess last year. Um, yeah. So we recognized that there was a spot there. We also recognized that there was a need for more, for more airlock cycles. You know, um, the Japanese control the, the airlock and it's, it's a wonderful resource. Uh, it's great. It has its limitations. Uh, the biggest of which is the volume. You can only put so big of a thing outside, and uh, and we maximize that with our with our satellite deployers, with our with our in rep. Um, you know, and I, I know a lot of other payload providers are maximizing that volume. Uh, could really benefit from it being bigger. Second biggest obstacle is the just the amount of openings. You know, there's only it only opens so many times a year, and uh, and it's a resource that we're all competing for. So, so we really see, we saw this opportunity to, to put something else out there that could be used for a lot of the same stuff, but also be used for bigger, newer, you know, more capable uses. One of the things that I think people have a hard time conceptualizing is that limit on um, cycles between open and closed. You know, you, you think of it like a door, you can just open and close as many times as you want, but there are these limitations with with airlocks on the ISS, and can you maybe dive into that a little bit? Like, how does you know, for instance, the Japanese module can do what is it, ten or so a year of cycles? Yeah, 10 or 12, um, something like. Mm-hmm. And then the Nanorax airlock, not sure if you've decided on a particular number, but what is it that you know gets you to that number and and makes that the number that you're kind of stuck with to deal with? Well, you know, a lot of it's limited by the hardware. Um, so the the airlock itself. You know, connects much like, um, much like uh, I don't know, Cygnus when it births to the station, or or something like that. It's got these common birthing mechanism, and there's a there's a active part on the station, and then there's a passive part on the uh, on the component. In this case, the airlock. Um, you know, it, it it connects together, and and you know, there's some some uh, motorized gizmos and, and gaskets and things like that. And it, and it pulls it together and, and uh, connects. Now that that's been a limit because it's only certified for X amount of openings and closings. And, uh, and, and one of the things we've actually done with the airlock is Boeing, who is the manufacturer of that has gone in and recertified this we uh it was only certified for about 10 openings 10 times connected before and now they've they've figured out that the parts that they've made are actually much 
you know, much more robust and, and better for lack of a better term. So they're, they're able to do that. So that, that was, that was kind of, it's been a limitation of some of the components of the station. And when we were first looking at the airlock, that was going to be our biggest, our biggest limitation. It's not, not just door with a couple gaskets that you can open and close. Uh, next thing that's kind of, uh, limiting on this is the, it, well, there's two things that kind of go hand in hand. Uh, and they both have to do with the depressurization of the, of the actual airlock. Um, one, there's the physical act of removing the air from, from the airlock. And that, that means you have to close a hatch and run a pump. And, uh, and, uh, as part of this, this effort to build the airlock, NASA's also uh, under a separate contract had somebody else build an air safe pump for that exact purpose. Uh, they have a couple of other applications for it too. So it was, you know, it's just, this ended up being kind of the, the motivating factor for it. The other part of that is the crew time associated with closing a hatch. Um, for those of, uh, those of you, you know, I, you got educated listeners on here, so they'll know that the, uh, the CBM hatch, uh, has in its, in its, uh, current configuration has these motor drivers that stick out into the volume of it. And it, you know, anytime you're going to close or open one of these hatches, you have to install these motor drivers and, uh, and that takes time. It takes they, I think the allocation is four and a half hours crew time. And it's because they have to give, get installed and they, they do all this other stuff. And, and the bad part is that it, when they're installed, it decreases the actual uh, space that you can put stuff through. So NASA saw that this was going to be a problem. This is a problem that they've always had. And they use this opportunity to fix that too. So these, they're, they're called CBM CPAs, the, the controller panel assemblies on the common birthing mechanism. Uh, they, they built these, they've got under another contract that's made to build folding, uh, folding brackets that allow these controllers to be installed permanently. So it, it greatly reduces the amount of crew time. So, so both those challenges, you know, the, the closing the hatch and opening the hatch, as well as removing the pump, are two of our biggest obstacles, and they, they're two things that, that NASA is uh, addressing directly and, and helping make this uh, a more economic and time-sensitive uh, time solution. Yeah, and that's, that's the kind of thing that NASA wouldn't necessarily do on their own if there wasn't any you know, motivation to do that sort of thing. So if they see yeah. a resource like an airlock like this coming along, I don't know why Siri just triggered on my phone. Something I said sounded like, hey, Siri. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they see this kind of thing coming along and, you know, four and a half hours to do a single thing like that is is just a crazy amount of crew time when you consider, you know, how long or how short these astronauts are up on station. So if they can eliminate that and get a ton of more... Uh, utility out of something like this that's something that you know that outside motivation is pretty huge to making the iss better today and that's you know we, we talked for a little bit about the hatch mechanisms when i was on the tour looking at the cbm there and and seeing how big of a problem that was it's it's kind of cool to think about giving yeah. back to the station in that way well and it's one of these things you know you see how why it got designed that way you know it was almost as an afterthought but it, but then you go, okay, well, now I want to put something big through this hatch. 
And with those motor controllers sticking out, you, you restrict it to a 30-inch passageway. Now, when it folds all the way out, the full hatch is 50 inches. So it's, it's in, yeah, so you're right. We're the, we end up being the forcing function on this. You know, they say, here's a problem, and it hasn't actually been a problem until now. Now we want you to fix it. And, and uh, to their credit, they said, absolutely, this will, this will get fixed. So where's, where are you at now with the airlock itself? Um, you're moving in, you're about, what is it, a year and a quarter away from SpaceX 19, maybe a year and a half? Uh, yeah. So you're getting down the stretch here. Where, where are things at with the airlock today? They are, uh, they're going really good. Um, we, you know, we were, we've done this, unlike a lot of our other programs, uh, we thought ahead and, uh, and, and uh, you know, a number of years ago, staffed up, got some real rock stars in here. Uh, a guy named Brock Howe is managing this program for me. And he brought in just a, just a great team of people. And, and that's been extremely valuable, you know, because as a, a project, <laughs> excuse me, any project's only as good as its, as its manager. So, and, and that's what we're doing. So it's, it's running very well. Uh, the CBM has been fabricated. Um, you know, one of our, our partners in this is, uh, is Boeing. Uh, we've got, they have partial ownership of that and, and, you know, their, their contributions include the CBM, the, the passive side of the common birthing mechanism. That's already, I believe that's completely done. Um, and, and then they're also doing, uh, in-kind verification and engineering services that, that, you know, it's just part of getting things to the station. Um, we have a, uh, a really mature design and we're closing in on, uh, on who's going to manufacture that. Actually, I think by the time this airs, we'll have the contract signed, uh, which is which is exciting for us, and it's with a, a really well known manufacturer of other parts of the space station. Um, you know, we've got we're what we're still having a lot of fun with uh, is the the use cases for the airlock. You know, it it in its simplest form, it's a uh, it's a jar, you know, an open ended jar that we stick on the the side of the space station. And uh, we use the space station hatch. We use the space station controllers. We use that kind of stuff. So we're just a big dumb metal shell. But we're also a big dumb metal shell that has a lot of opportunity and real estate. We can, uh, you know, we're looking at the sites on the outside. Uh, we've baselined using a, a connector from Oceaneering called the Gold and the, the Gold Two connector. It's a, it's kind of a similar connector to the. Uh, MDA CPLA wedge, or or uh, an alternative to a frame, a smaller a frame. I'm sorry, a smaller a smaller version of something like that. But it allows us to do power and data feed through to the outside of the station. So so we can mount we can mount payloads on there. So uh, so we're still we're still working on what's going to go out there, and and do we need to do some specialty connectors? Do we need some specialty real estate uh, things like that? That's cool too because you you think you know you'll come up with a bunch of stuff right now, but that gets attached to the station and it's flexible enough that two years down the line you could have another brilliant idea for a different configuration or something else that you'd want to do, and you could you know send some hardware up to make a new configuration on the fly. Really, in a lot of ways, it's absolutely right. You know, it's it's funny. There's there's kind of 
two conflicting schools of thought here. Like one is the whole, just keep it simple, you know, the, the kiss method, but, but there's this other thing that, that we, that we've done and demonstrated on a lot of our other hardware. And that's, that's the, uh, the field of dreams type thing. If you build it, they'll come, you know, uh, with our, with our caber deployer, which recently did those two deploys in its simplest form, you just plug in electricity and it, and it just, come in that goes straight to a release mechanism and the satellite goes away but we knew we wanted to maybe do something else with that so i built in a ton of additional capacity into this thing we've got the ability to do all sorts of commanding it's got uh you know digital io analog io it's got uh, a usb built into this we've got camera drivers already built into the thing and and the thinking there is Okay, we've got we've got something on space, something in space. We've got something on station. Why not make it extremely capable, even though we don't have a, a use for it right now? So, so we're kind of trying to think like that with the airlock. Like, what can we put in there that is going to make make sense, you know, in three, four years from now, and make us look just super smart? <laughs> but but without risking the, you know, the 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 simple and and essential components of it. Right. Um, yeah. That's uh, awesome. Uh, you know, I I think it's going to be particularly exciting to see that go up in a dragon trunk and get it attached and really see it up there because uh, the size of it is is really quite impressive. I'll put some links in the show notes to some of the photos that you guys have posted out there with people standing next to this because uh, yeah. it's pretty. Like, I'm not a very tall person as you may have experienced uh <laughs> but it is still the scale even to me was just incredible when you really you know you see all these photos of the station but it's hard to really comprehend the scale of things until you're really standing in front of them um yeah. so it's, you, it's crazy so to right. see how much space there is there it was so we brought that so we built a you know this mock-up that you're talking about and, a, and it's a one-to-one life-size mock-up and and that was the main purpose of this was to show people, hey, this is this is how big it is, and this is what you can do. And uh, we actually brought that mock-up up to Spacecom, and uh, it was fun. We didn't we didn't realize this was a kind of a side effect, but the the hatch opening on it kind of made a perfect photo booth, you know. So like, just sit <laughs> on the like, bench and hang yeah, out. Yeah, my picture inside the airlock. So uh, yeah, so there's another added benefit. That's but, awesome. <laughs> Uh, unless you got anything else in the airlock, I've got a ton of questions for another quite exciting project uh, that people are probably dying to for us to get into at this point. I know, man. I I have to apologize to your listeners for my long windedness. No, 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 no. <laughs> I I want to know about the airlock, so you know they yeah. can deal with it if they don't like yeah. it. But I am wearing my Centaur shirt for you. Fantastic. Because we're gonna get into some Ixian stuff. Uh, previously, we've seen. Uh, some illustrations of it with common centaur and a note on top. I think it was maybe two weeks ago or so, this new photo was released of what appears to be centaur 5 with some sort of node in the middle there. A ton of questions surrounding that. If you can dive into any of that and tell us about this new configuration that we're looking at of uh, the new module. So the Ixian project, uh, that is, it's part of NASA's Next Step program. Uh, It was 
we we are the lead on that one of uh, one of many teams that was uh you know funded by nasa to do a feasibility study on uh you know basically future future stations future habitats things like that um our team consists of uh ssl space system morale you know the mva part uh ula which uh you've foreshadowed with your centaur shirt um yeah it it also has a lot of interest from from a lot of other uh a lot of other people um you know we uh the thing is that we we proposed an idea that's not new uh, we we proposed the idea of the wet lab, which was a von Braun idea, uh, basically to reuse uh, upper stages of rockets, and and you know it's it, it's along the same themes that it, that I've said a couple times. You know it's it's real estate. It's something that's already there. It, let's just find a use for it. So um, so yeah, uh, the the status of the project. Um, we, we completed the feasibility study. Uh, that's all done. Uh, final reports are in and everything like that. We're moving on to the next step, which is, uh, you know, the, the ground tests and, uh, you know, the, that part of the feasibility. Um, we're playing a little catch up as I'm sure, you know, that, that, uh, you know, some other, some of the other teams have already started the ground stuff. Um, we're not too worried about that though, because, uh, you know, because what our plans are for this, you know, we, we, uh, we have tail numbers for um, for upper stages, um, and and we've got we've got plans. Yeah, we'll see in which period of performance we do this, but we're going to do flight tests of this. Um, oh. you know, it's it's exciting. Um, as you can imagine, there's a lot of trades. You know, the pictures with Centaur Five. There's pictures with the uh, ISIS. There's pictures with yeah heck with the htv and with new glenn and like all kinds of things like that uh right now we're still baselining that the the centaur and uh and we're we're baselining um you know kind of a kind of a node approach you know where where there's a a connector between that and a vehicle that tugs us there something you know like the cygnus vehicle yeah, so that new it, configuration with the CBM kind of in the middle, is that kind of just an illustration at this point, you know, one of many design studies, or is that something that people should look at and draw some conclusions from? I think uh, people should look at it and draw conclusions. And, and, uh, and, uh, and you, but the conclusion should be it's being considered as, as an option. Okay. Yeah. So There's, the, you know, it, I think some people would look at that and say, this is a super modified upper stage, not something that just, you know, was flown and discarded and then converted into a wet lab of that of that sort. But from what it sounds like, the concepts, all the technology that's being developed as part of this, um, you know, that that's still applicable to any given upper stage that's out there. If you were to go up and capture an expended upper stage, the things that you're working on are meant to be open ended enough that you could convert that to a habitat. Yeah, and that's that's the best way of saying it. You know, like I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to play favorites or or you know say that one thing would be you know better than the other. That's that's the point of the study, is to see what what would work and really what's yeah, what, who's who's most willing to work with us. You know, we we want we want to show this capability. We want to have we want to have you know 
stations up there for, for a number of reasons. You, you can do uh, a lot of manufacturing, you know, things that you, you don't want man-tended. Uh, you can do things like habitation, and that's the ultimate ultimate purpose here. Uh, but you know, there's there's a ton of other applications, and we don't want to, yeah, not look at one or the other because right. of uh, yeah. It's yeah, also so. been a while since anyone's really looked at Web Lab in a in a serious manner, and you know, taken another look at it in today's environment. So, you know, even mm-hmm. if this if this applies to a different upper stage than you're currently thinking about, I think that's still a valuable thing to have out there. Is like we've done all these studies about how this concept could work today with the tank structures we have. Because the last time we looked at this, it was either like the Von Braunian, you know, very heavy structure or the Centaur style balloon tanks. And that was kind of what you were looking at. We've got a lot yeah. of other things going on in fabrication and, and different ways of, you know, different architectures that exist. So it's, you know, something that I think somebody needs to do this work. And it's good yeah. to see somebody is doing that work. I think that's what <laughs> excites a lot of people uh, about you know something like this. One of the common things that we you know, that we see as we're as we're doing the study is that it is something you point out. There's there's a lot of modification that has to happen. So it's 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 important that whoever you know whatever we're we're working on is you know that that company is a partner. You know, that that they're willing to do these things. Yeah, you know, uh, things that seem really simple, like you know welding on another truss or something like that, might invalidate. Yeah, the I don't know, coupled loads, coupled loads analysis of the upper stage of this, and and things like that. And so it's it's really important to work with those people and have them on board and willing to do stuff. Yeah, so that's 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 a big part of this. You know, no matter who it it is, they've they've got to be, you know, headed towards that same goal. Yeah. Yeah. So the uh, one of the big trades in in wet lab kind of concept generally is that you have to bring up fit out hardware of some sort. Um, yeah. So I think that's when you, when you look at people that maybe criticize wet lab idea or try to poke holes in it, um, they, they say, well, how does this really trade well in that, you know, maybe you send up an upper stage, but you've got to bring all this extra hardware up on either the same flight or another flight entirely. So how does that sort of trade play out in the, the work that you've been doing so far? No, it's a, it's a real good point because you, you get in on a trade. Why not just build something purpose built and launch it up? Uh, I think I think what we're discovering in in doing this trade is that even with modification and with bringing up other stuff, say on CRS vehicles, uh, which you know uh, half that space is for payloads, so we're so we're able to to use that. We're finding that that with that trade, it still makes sense to bring up this big pressure structure. You you still have something that's eighty percent of the way there, and and you're not spending hundreds of millions of dollars on a rocket launch just for that. Right. Um, I see some parallels to the way that you're thinking about the airlock in that it's a big dumb space and you can configure it as you need. And and I I enjoy that parallel between the way that you're approaching the airlock as a configurable volume and the way that you know we're looking at wet labs like this that as a configurable volume because you don't you're not locked into one specific design which i think is something that is interesting you know you could in a hypothetical world you could offer two different wet lab flights that have different configurations and different end goals and one could be you know that robotic kind of stuff that you're talking about one could be a crew habitat and the concepts apply equally across the board there you know something interesting that 
that we've been really conscious of is that, you know, if you, I, it's kind of a stretch of an analogy, but if you carry a hammer long enough, everything starts looking like a nail. Yeah. If you're a robotics person, you're going to probably want to design something so you can put robots in it. You know, if you're a, a inflatable uh, or expandable person, you're going to design things for that, you know, soft goods, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We've been really conscious to try to not design ourselves into, into those those specialties that we don't necessarily have at Nanorax, you know, that we'll be accommodating of those kind of things, but we don't want to limit ourselves to something that can only be operated robotically or only be operated with crew. So it's a, yeah, it's a, that's conscious decision on our part. So is, is this some sort of project that um, maybe you personally or Nanorax at large see as living outside of next step in a way in that, you know, if things go your way in next step, great, and you'll follow along with that. If things don't, is this something that you could see Nanorax taking further, either in their own goals or selling to others? Is this something that would live outside of it in the way that we've seen SpaceX live outside of their initial contracts with NASA? Yes. Um, I don't think it's any secret that we, uh, you know, our ultimate goal is to to have our own space stations and to, to be the destination in Leo. And I see this as being a, uh, a really good way to, to figure that out and to make that happen. Um, you know, even outside of NASA, there's, there's a lot of applications for this and, uh, and you, you know, really in one flight, uh, another country could have an entire, uh, space station, you know, the, with one, with one launch, you could have, um, a pressurized volume in which you could do a just ton of science. There's a there's obviously military applications uh, for things like that. Um, in general, it's just a we think it's a good idea, and and it's a you know, it falls in line with what what we're doing as a company. Yeah, that's the thing that I think I latch onto the most is that on a personal level, me speaking here, I've been you know, and I think other people feel this way as well, but. You see how SpaceX took their NASA contracts and moved forward with it on their own plans and how it played into what they're working on. And you see other particular companies not necessarily taking advantage of that sort of symbiotic relationship as much. So it's good to see somebody else out there on a completely different uh, project within NASA kind of say, hey, this does play to our ultimate goals here and latch on and work with them as best as possible. But keep in mind your not ulterior motives, but your other, you know, influences that led you down this direction in the first place. Um, and I don't think it's any surprise that you uh, talk about Nanorex having their own stations because uh, Jeffrey Mambers said that in Congress himself. Uh, yeah. So that's definitely not like, a you know, that's on public record out there. So <laughs> I don't think anyone's surprised news. to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Anthony, for the for the compliment, the comparison to SpaceX. You know, they, those guys are just doing incredible stuff. And yeah, it. I guess the context of my statement is you know, it, people that know Nanorax and have had interactions with Nanorax probably have different experiences. You know, we have we have a lot of stuff going on. We have educational uh, experiments that are you know they're small mixture tubes things like that. Uh, we have we have small uh, nano labs, which is you know kind of where the name of the company came from, and um, you know these small experiments. We have satellites. We have uh, we have scientific research platforms on the station we've got got a bunch of 
what would at first appear to be scattered uh, interests. But the reality is that all these things are part of our ultimate goal. They're all things that we need to do to have private space stations. We need to know how to do science. We need to know how to have uh, utilization, commercial utilization of satellites, things like that. We need to be able to build structure, hence the air lock. All these things fit in line with what we what we're doing, and that's that's make our own station. Yeah, that's a that's a incredible way to tie it together. Because sometimes talking, you know, things that Jeffrey member has said in the past, or you know, talking with other members of the team, it's been like, well, we kind of just went from this one thing and then said, hey, we could do that. Hey, we could do that, and pile on these abilities. But that certainly sounds like a grand plan that you just laid out there. That you had this like yeah. master plan lit- written somewhere on the office that I didn't actually <laughs> see when I was there. No, that's in that secret room that we didn't show. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and it, it it is one of those things that, like the, you know, when when you're looking at at the industry as a whole, you know, you, you need to, you need a goal. You need something uh, inspiring. You need something, uh, you know, cur- commercially viable. You need to, you need a target to aim at, and that that's been the case. So, uh, so I put out a call for questions from the the members over there on Patreon. And there was one interesting one that I would like to get your take on. This is all personal opinion stuff. You don't have to be speaking in company matter on this. But uh, <laughs> Ryan wanted to know what your thoughts are on 3D printing in space, on-orbit manufacture, that sort of side of the industry that seems to be emerging uh, these days. What What is your take on that? And where do you see that going in the future? Well, hello, Ryan. That's a good question. Um, I, I'm excited about it. Now, I, I'm of the the opinion, you know, that that we need to just build a bunch of these machines and and shoot them out, and then figure out what we're going to use them for later. Um, <laughs> I think we're going to see some pretty amazing uh, technological developments in a couple specific areas with three D printing. Um, I think uh, it, like, we work we work closely with Main Space, and and I really like what they're doing, and and you know, printing tools and printing wrenches and things like that. That's that's ultimately extremely useful for long duration stuff. But I think where we're going to see really big uh, leaps and bounds in this industry are are in making structures for antennas, uh, you know, synthetic aperture, stuff like that. Structures that can't exist on Earth. And and in order to do that, we're going to need you know additional precision of the machines, which they're working on. But then the ability to print multiple materials, to have have stuff that has wires in it, you know, get something that that has a fiber optic cable in the middle of this while they're printing, so so it so it truly can be a uh, a composite structure. I think I think that's really where we're going to see some big leaps and bounds because, you know, for now we're we're still we you know aerospace is a little bit behind honestly other industries we don't you know the station's made out of you know 70 75 or 60 61 aluminum and uh and it's or our other alloys and uh you know there's all these other amazing materials out there we, we're hesitant to make giant changes because we have people's lives on the line we've got we've got uh, a heritage that's that's uh, really important so i i think that's where we're going to see it is in and things that we physically can't build on on earth that's a very interesting answer because that's something that i feel like a lot of times people take it in the well it's better to manufacture these things in space and bring them back back down to earth and things like that but 
you know, that's an outwardly looking vision of what this could do for us, what it could enable into the future. Yeah. No, and, and, you know, not to discount that the, the in-space manufacturing, like, uh, you know, right now on SpaceX 13, um, uh, made in space flew, uh, a fiber optic, uh, manufacturing thing. And, and gosh, I, I hope it works that that could justify everything. Uh, every dollar spent today in space could be justified if we have a product that can only be made in space that produces a, a benefit for people on earth. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. And that's, that's why we still do all of these mixture tubes and just really nano experiments. It's because you know, you gotta, for something to stick, you have to throw a lot of things at the wall. I want to see that happen. So looking forward in the next year or so, uh, if somebody out there was particularly inspired by NanoRex, what should they be watching for in 2018? Or you know, in the run-up to the airlock launch, what is it that they should keep their eyes on? Well, keep a keep an eye on our job posting sites. <laughs> <laughs> Nanorex is hiring. Uh, we're we're looking for expansion. Um, I, I think uh, keep an eye on us for for uh, uh, to paraphrase Pinky in the Brain for world domination. Um, I think we're going to see expansion into other markets um you know there's uh the the united states has just been uh wonderful for us and we've we've had other customers that that are from uh, other countries european unions uh you know from from uh, malaysia from here there from china and i think that i think uh that's really where a lot of the exciting expansion is going to happen in anorex we're gonna we're gonna have a lot more experiments from uh from that and and i think it'll be an area of growth in our company will be the expansion into those very cool uh is there anything else that you want to kind of plug before i don't want to hold up too much of your time and i've got a lot of stuff going on down there as we've talked about quite busy down in webster so is there anything else that, that you wanted <laughs> to plug or um, send people to look at you know to, to read up on some of these projects yeah uh no thank you so again apologize for my long wind no this is no this is you have not listened to all the interview shows on this show if you think this one is long-winded no <laughs> we, we can we can definitely take some time on on interviews on this one so nice no, i like the long form um now i uh i would like to point people to nanorex.com it's a uh you know it's an outdated website with the uh, <laughs> misinformation but uh but it's a good place to start um our our you know follow us on twitter at nanorex uh we have facebook and instagram as well um you know and uh and across the headlines of your local newspaper hopefully <laughs> um, uh yeah listen for us on on uh manage and cut off and <laughs> it is a quite frequent it's, topic so it's it's wonderful yeah we're we're all huge fans and when uh when when you were down here it was really fun to walk you around and everybody's like is that that's anthony like <laughs> so, so you're kind of a rock star down here yeah the very 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 local celebrity <laughs> still a celebrity <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Mike. I love having you on the show. Love talking with you. I hope to get down to visit you uh, in the not too distant future. Yeah, no, thank you to you. Thank you to all the uh, readers and everybody who supports your podcast. This is a, it's an excellent source of info. We appreciate it. Keep, keep up the good work. Thanks again, Mike, for coming on the show. And thank you so much to all of you out there that made this show possible by supporting the show over on Patreon. There were 131 of you supporting this show, and that includes 23 executive producers who made this particular show possible. 
Chris, Mike, Pat, Matt, George, Brad, Ryan, Jameson, Nadim, Peter, Donald, Lee, Jasper, Chris, Warren, Bob, Brian, Russell, and five anonymous executive producers. Thank you so much for all of your support and making this show happen and keeping this thing going strong through 2017 as we come down towards the end. If you want to help support the show, head over to patreon.com slash Miko. And uh, there's some good perks there. If you give $3 or more a month, you will get access to the headlines show that I do every single Friday, running through the headlines of the week, the lesser talked about stories that are still important to keep on your radar. And $5 a month will get you access to the Discord, where we all hang out and chat about space and other things, and just generally a good place to hang out and talk about space with some other space fans. Thank you again for all your support. Thanks for listening to this show, and I will talk to you next week. 